Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So total confession here, even for someone like me, who's sort of a circus ringmaster, pro wrestling, hype guy, you know, everything's the biggest and the best and sort of naturally hyperbolic. I just sort of have that in my blood. Even for someone like me, the Georgia Vanderbilt game on Saturday is not the easiest sell here. Now, ultimately, this is what this is about. It's a great chance to be in Sanford Stadium again. I thought the weather was last week was beautiful. I think the hope is on Saturday they'll have the same thing be true again. Our good friend Ella Dorsey from CBS 46 is going to be back with us this week. She's been on some vacation, uh, but she's going to be back with us again tomorrow as part of our R.S. Andrews cool down and then on the Kroger kickoff on Saturday. So she'll tell us more about what the weather actually shapes up to be for Saturday then. But Saturday this past week, perfect against Auburn and you're kind of hopeful for another one of these great tailgate days I think 3 30 start it's not a night game I realize that but it's a pretty full day of tailgating I remember how early folks were kind of popping up there last week and it seems like everybody's having a really good time and so that's kind of the sell for Georgia Vanderbilt hey great chance to be between the hedges you don't get much of an opportunity to do this the opponent doesn't appear to be much but it's 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 a great opportunity to kind of enjoy college football with the folks you enjoy college football with. And, yeah, you'd like to see Georgia maybe play a little bit better than it has played in some of its other overmatched type games. But ultimately, I don't think Georgia Vanderbilt's much of a referendum on anything. I don't think it's one of those data points to consider in terms of how good Georgia is. I believe it's really just more of a box to be checked. League rules dictate you got to play everybody in your division. And so, therefore, Georgia's playing Vanderbilt on Saturday because it has to, not necessarily because it wants to but that doesn't mean there aren't some things to to consider here doesn't mean there aren't some some stuff we might be able to take away from the game and obviously in some respects you know Vanderbilt is I guess a little bit more of an improved team than it's been in the past their season win total for those of you that care about that kind of stuff the over under at the beginning of the season was just two and a half and yet in the month of September Vanderbilt won three games they literally exceeded their season win total before they even got to conference play they obviously blasted Hawaii one of the worst teams in the country they beat Elon they went on the road one at Northern Illinois the team that won the Mac a year ago so that's not necessarily a you know a, a terrible performance necessarily and then along the way they also switched from Mike Wright at quarterback to AJ Swan from here from the Atlanta area Cherokee High School and so when Kirby Smart looks across the field on Saturday Clark Lee kind of in his second year leading this program what he sees is a team that he thinks is getting a little bit better this is what Kirby Smart said about Vandy earlier this week you start with the first game of the year. You know, they go out to Hawaii and play uh, in a tough environment, tough time change, very mature to handle that and play well. Um, they played well last week. When you watch the, uh, the Ole Miss tape, they came out and attacked and played well. I mean, well coached. So the expectation is that you're going to grow and get better. And everybody measures that in different amounts. I'm sure Clark has his way of measuring it, uh, just like we have our way of, of trying to measure improvement. But they probably, to me, one of the most improved teams in our league in terms of the way they're playing right now. So maybe that's true, maybe that's not. Obviously, Kirby Smart's going to have to try to sell the opponent in a situation like this, and that's kind of what he's doing. But what people, I think, are kind of interested in is, hey, 
Georgia against an overmatched opponent, I think a lot of Georgia fans are saying, let's not see the dog sort of play down to the level of competition, something that Georgia probably did against Sanford earlier this year, something that Georgia, I think, definitely did against Kent State in the second home game of the year. And then on the road at Missouri, listen, you can get into a tough spot sometimes in the conference when you're playing in somebody else's stadium. But nonetheless, Georgia was a huge sort of 30-plus point favorite that day against Missouri and was in a fight for its life just to win the game. So there's this thought on Saturday, hey, I don't care if A.J. Swan is of a fun quarterback I don't care if Vanderbilt is as Kirby Smart says kind of an improved team Georgia is still at last check like a 38 point favorite in this game can we see some Georgia fans would say Georgia come out and look dominant and make an overmatched opponent feel as overmatched as it's supposed to this is something that Georgia really hasn't done in two of its three uh, home games here thus far and some of you are kind of aware of this when it comes to these like really big home spreads to those of you who care about point spreads and gambling or for those of you who just want to see Georgia flexed what is it supposed to a lot of you are aware you know the number being 38 right now Georgia's actually on an 0 and 9 streak failed to cover in its last 9 instances as a favorite of 38 or more points this actually predates Kirby Smart because uh, there was also an instance in 2015 where this happened you have to go back to 2014 to find an instance in when Georgia covered a 38 plus point spread at home that's kind of where the number expects to sit on Saturday's game against Vanderbilt so and I don't put a ton into that because while they haven't covered you know a lot of these games have been blowouts but just sort of underneath the number and there's a lot of variance kind of associated with very big point spreads and and, and things like that so I don't necessarily put a whole lot of you know, stock into the fact that Georgia's not covering these gigantic point spreads very much. But when you have a Kent State game where it's you didn't cover it by a long margin and, you know, obviously the road game against Missouri, well, all of a sudden that starts to mean a little bit more. An example of the fact that Georgia probably, as one of the teams that we would consider among the national elite, just sort of needs to play better than that. I think that's probably fair to say. However, there is something else from a trend standpoint that I do think that Georgia ought to be paying more attention to on Saturday. And it's the kind of thing that you probably ought to notice if you're thinking about kind of where Georgia sits and how Georgia compares to sort of previous year teams. And I'm going to use a clip here from Kirby Smart as a setup for that. So Smart was asked the kind of question, obviously, that he hates. They're playing an SEC game on Saturday, and you know the off week comes on the other side of that. Now, no matter what Smart says, the truth is, is I'm sure they are looking forward to this off week. You got A.D. Mitchell who's banged up. You got Jalen Carter who's banged up. You got a bunch of guys right now that if you're a Georgia fan, you're hoping gets healthy for the big stretch run that it's on its way. And the off week prior to playing Florida is valuable time in that healing process. But Kirby Smart, knowing that Georgia uh, has a game this Saturday and you want to respect your opponent things like that uh, he wasn't ta- paying any attention wasn't talking at all about the fact that Georgia knows that it's got the bye week coming up next Saturday but he was asked the question this is what Smart said about that here this week I hadn't even thought about the bye week I mean I'm, I'm concerned with uh, Vandy and getting our team better uh, to look at the bye week right now would be you know would be dishonorable to Vandy. I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest. This is a good football team. I just told you all they're one of the most improved football teams, and we respect and value that in our organization, how their kids will play and how they played last weekend. So one quick aside here for a moment, Kirby Smart says, hey, I don't want to be dishonorable to Vanderbilt. There are still a lot of Georgia fans that would love nothing more than it be to be dishonorable to Vanderbilt because they felt like Vanderbilt dishonored Georgia in 2020 by not playing the game, robbing those seniors that year of their senior day and kind of putting a blemish on what had really been a very 
successful campaign on the part of the SEC to even have a season that year. I thought Vanderbilt at the end of that season made a mockery of the whole deal. And there are a lot of Georgia fans that would love nothing more than to see Vanderbilt dishonored. Georgia beat them about 100 to nothing last year in Nashville. And for a lot of Georgia fans, that still wasn't enough. So Vanderbilt kind of has gone from being a team that gets almost no consideration from UGA fans for a lot of years to now being a team a lot of Georgia fans still hate. And I got to tell you, I understand exactly where it comes from. I think the Commodores, no matter how fancy pants they are from an academic standpoint, it's kind of a net negative on the league. So uh, I got no problem with the Georgia fans who would like nothing more than to dishonor Vanderbilt on Saturday. But it's pretty clear that Kirby Smart did not want to do that there with that clip. However, however, to go back to the substance of the statement for a moment on the notion of bye weeks, did you know? that over the course of Kirby Smart's career as Georgia coach, the dogs are actually 0-7 against the spread in the game prior to an off week. Now, there's a little bit of an asterisk to this because in the 2019 season, there were actually two off weeks, and one of those was the Notre Dame game. So that's a little bit different scenario than what you have here right now. It is typically that game before the off week, then you play Florida. That's the typical scenario here. And Georgia has failed to cover the spread in any of those situations thus far in the Kirby Smart era as Georgia coach. Now, some of those are like blowout wins that just didn't quite match the spread, which is probably not that big of a deal. Some of these are kind of like ugly performances, which you were really, really kind of left to wonder, what's going on here? Think about Kentucky in 2019. Kentucky in 2020 you know those games going into an off week where you're like gosh this is this is really kind of a a struggling scuffling performance from UGA and then there are two instances prior to a bye week where Georgia has lost outright Vanderbilt in 2016 LSU by three touchdowns in 2018 now understand what I'm saying here I'm not suggesting that Georgia's going to lose on Saturday that's not what I'm suggesting I am suggesting this though that for whatever reason, in this particular spot, Georgia hasn't played very well, whether it's because they are holding back a lot of players from injury, whether it is because their mind is sort of thinking to the off week and what typically is a little bit of a pickup in business as you move back into the season, uh, moving towards Halloween week and into November, whatever the reason is, this has been a little bit of a soft spot in previous years for the Georgia schedule. So to sort of keep that in mind, whether you plan on betting the game, the point spread or anything like that, think about this relative to expectations. Georgia has typically underperformed the week before by. So with a lot of talk right now about leadership, who's stepping up for Georgia, what's the mental level of focus, what's the maturity level of this team, I think it actually becomes a real opportunity to show that on Saturday. Previous Georgia teams have not looked particularly good the week before an off week. Some of them have just flat out lost games. This is a chance on Saturday for Georgia to show some maturity. Yeah, it's an off week coming up. Yeah, you got some players banged up. Yeah, you got to kind of try to find your own emotional energy level, given the fact that you're not playing an opponent of very much note. These are all things which previous Georgia teams maybe kind of had a hard time kind of rounding into form with. But on Saturday, Georgia has a chance to show, hey, this team is different. This team does have more maturity. This team does have more leadership. This team does have more level of focus. This team really is ready for the games that matter. If you can play big in a game that doesn't matter, if you can have a sharp edge to you there, all the better chance, I'm guessing anyway, all the better chance you have that same level of edge, energy, and focus for the games that do matter more as you head towards November. So maybe something to watch for in a game that otherwise doesn't matter very much. How does Georgia play? Does it play like it wants to be there? Does it play like it wants to dominate? That's not something all Georgia teams have shown in the past, and maybe that is something these dogs can show this upcoming weekend. 
My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Meriwether and Tharp, and glad to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today. 9.45, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, uh, all kinds of video platforms for you to watch the show on, of course, radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio, 960 The Ref, podcast, Apple, Spotify, all the various podcast platforms. Just really happy to have you a part of what we're doing here today. And so grateful for our friends at Meriwether and Tharp for making it all possible. You know, we have great sponsors around here, and I'm so thankful for them because the chance to speak to you across all these platforms and be here live or be on demand for those of you who connect after that, most of you kind of do that. Whatever way you access us, we couldn't do what we do. I wouldn't have the platform to speak to you if it wasn't for our sponsors who make all this possible. And none better than our friends at Meriwether and Tharp. I, I love Bob Tharp, one of the partners there, and Ashley's wife, and uh, they're just a great group of folks that uh, work with them there at Meriwether and Tharp. And certainly I love talking Georgia football with them. They've been a part of a lot of the big things that we've done, which is always so much fun. But beyond that, I also really, really love what they can do for our audience. And listen, I know people who have been through divorce, who are going through divorce right now. I see the pain that is accompanied with that. And I see the the, the heartbreak that go, kind of goes along with that in some respects. I am not immune to that. Thankful I haven't had to be the, go through that myself, but I have certainly walked through that journey with people who I love and care about. And I know how important it is when you see someone going through that to have a strong advocate on your side to help prepare you for what comes next. This is all a journey, step by step by step. The goal, the the destination you hope is a happier tomorrow. And when you have a great advocate by your side explaining the law, telling you how you can leverage it for your benefit, uh, you know, helping you win in the areas that matter when it comes to the relationship with your children, your finances, all of those things that are kind of important I guess, spokes off the hub that is the divorce conversation. Our friends at Meriwether and Tharp, they understand all of that. They know the stakes of the game when it comes to you and your story and what you want next in your life. And so my invitation to you is, and I think you should do this, is to find out the website, theatlantadivorceteam.com, theatlantadivorceteam.com. Find out what I've been saying for a long time, that Meriwether and Tharp is your source for Georgia divorce. Tell them your story. Let them tell you what to do next. Make the decision to hire Meriwether and Tharp to handle your divorce proceeding here. And I think you'll be glad you did. And I think when you look back on uh, a happier future and a better tomorrow, a, a successful next season of your life, you'll look back on the decisions you made now as the thing that set all of that in motion. So check out our friends at Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce online at the Atlanta divorce team.com. That is the Atlanta divorce team.com. All right. So uh, good to have you here today. It is Terrence Edwards coming up in a moment. We have a fun announcement to make when Terrence is with us here in a second. I'm looking forward to doing that. Before that, though, I do want to go around the doghouse. And around the doghouse presented today by our friends at ServPro, which I always uh, love because they've done great work for us here. And obviously a lot of Georgia players hoping to do great work on Saturday and beyond uh, here uh, for the uh, Georgia Bulldogs there, too. And it kind of occurred to me, we haven't really heard from a ton of Georgia players on the show over the last little bit. It seems like we've done a lot of Kirby talk here and maybe haven't had as much from some of the Georgia players. So I want to kind of change that up here for our Around the Doghouse here today. Let me start with Christopher Smith. Obviously, we talk about leadership for Georgia. One of the key leaders in that Georgia defense is Smith there uh, at the safety position. We've seen him make big plays already for Georgia. We know in the biggest games, Georgia's going to need him to make more big plays here coming up. And this is what Smith said earlier this week when he looks across at his opponent for Saturday, Vanderbilt. This is what he sees. A.J. Swan, much like Kirby Smart talked about a moment ago, one of those names kind of steps up for him prominently. This is Smith from earlier this week. 
I've seen some of the film, you know, they got a great quarterback, um, great team as everybody else, the rest of the SEC. So, uh, you know, we're going to have to get out, get in there in the film room. Uh, the coach is going to give us a good game plan to carry out, and, uh, you know, it's going to be a hard work week. Even though this quarterback is pretty, maybe young, uh, he's very talented as well, as long as the quarterback that we faced last week. So, you know, we're just going to have to go out there and execute like we always do. So that's him talking about the challenge of A.J. Swan. Let me tell you why I think that statement matters and what I think is interesting about this. I'm a big believer that what we saw defensively from Georgia last week was probably the best overall defensive performance of the year from the Dogs. Not anywhere close to the low point in terms of points allowed, but I think a better overall representation, I believe, of what championship defense is going to look like for Georgia over the remainder of this season. And part of that is because I thought you saw a relentless amount of pressure towards Auburn quarterback Robbie Ashford and you didn't get him down on the ground you didn't get credited with a sack but Ashford had a lot of throwaways he was truly under duress all day long and I think against Swan who's also kind of a good athlete and really kind of a for a young quarterback certainly already pretty impressive you know can you keep that going can you have him running for his life all day long and can you convert some of those pressures actual into sacks because you do still need the negative plays you do still need that lost yardage you do still need the sacks but I've been a big believer that a lot of this kind of stuff works like a ratio that if Georgia is getting the kind of pressure it got last week eventually the sack total is going to go way up there too so on Saturday against a quarterback that has earned some respect like Swan you know can you continue to do that I think the words of Christopher Smith give you a lot to think about there on the other side of the ball last week we heard from Stetson Bennett that he felt like his team may have been pressing a little bit offensively at the beginning of the game the interpretation there is maybe trying a little too hard you know wanting to succeed so bad that it made you a little tight or maybe not you know quite as good as you could be less than your best and obviously this upcoming Saturday to kind of come out and play more relaxed play a little looser certainly seek improvement over where the passing attack was uh, last week that's a big challenge for for George on Saturday before we're done on today's show we're going to talk a little bit more about that but clearly kind of establishing a different mindset from the word go is going to be really important and some of that's going to lean on Stetson Bennett and his you know, physical traits how well he throws it and I would certainly hope more of the running type stuff that we saw from him on the long touchdown run last Saturday but also some of this is kind of the intangible part, you know, kind of the the stuff in the huddle, the stuff on the sideline, the stuff getting ready for kickoff, bringing some of that leadership to the forefront. And that's something that wide receiver Jackson Meek says that the players see in Stetson that maybe the fans don't always get to. This is Jackson Meeks and his quarterback from earlier this week. Uh, Stetson's a great leader. He's very vocal. More than it may seem, he's very vocal. And um, he tries to keep everybody in a calm mindset because Stetson stays at a – at a calm pace, like whether he goes out there and throws a pick, goes out there and throws a bomb, he's, he's the same guy. So that's uh, uh, Jackson Meek saying, hey, you know, listen, we're going to lean on sets a minute. We're going to let his leadership come to the forefront. We're going to sort of seek that as we hope for a better offensive performance there on Saturday. And, and then finally one more, and I wanted to spend a second here on this. You know, on Saturday with Smile Mondon not playing, with George a little bit banged up at the linebacker spot right now, we saw a guy get to emerge who has, boy, he's been waiting his time there at UGA. And I think this story is both good and important. It's important because Georgia needs as much depth as it can get. It needs a level of focus and leadership to kind of define last year's team. Most of us would watch what Georgia had in 2021 and say, this team is special. This team is selfless. This team wants to play 
with each other. They want to play for each other. There was an intangible quality from that Georgia team in 2021 that was as much a part of the national championship as anything tangible was. The overall talent level, the overall you know success level, that the intangible part of that, the, the maturity, the leadership, the kind of just the spirit of that team last year was so important to its overall you know success story and you kind of wonder what can the 2022 team conjure that up can the 2022 team kind of find that same type of thing and I think when you look at some of the stories of some of the guys who are emerging I think you at least have hope that yeah you know what maybe that could happen you know you know maybe that could be a part of all of this I think back to Channing Tindall last year who is a guy that was a big-time recruit coming out in the class of 2018, you know, kind of a reserve player, not getting to play, I'm sure, nearly as much as he would have wanted to play for a long time. And he never gave up, never quit, never, you know, tucked tail and ran, never never tried to find a place where the grass was greener and the path was easier. He was willing to do what was hard, and he was rewarded for it, both in terms of where he got drafted and also in terms of just kind of how he was, just the, the role that he played and what ultimately became a national championship team that was a successful story for Channing Tindall a year ago and you're kind of reminded of a guy like Ryan Davis on this year's team another one of those linebackers who you know Davis injured in high school spent a lot of his time injured in college and not getting a chance to be a part of this story to place like George I'm sure people in his hometown were wondering hey Ryan we're gonna get your chance you know when are you gonna get your chance to show why you got that trouble nickname when are you gonna show that trouble at the SEC level and I'm sure at times he doubted himself in fact he's even admitted that I thought that Ryan Davis gave you such an honest assessment of kind of how he looks back on his time at Georgia and kind of what he thinks about where that's put him now. This is really good from Ryan Davis, a guy who is quickly proving to be a very good player here at Georgia. Take a listen to this from earlier this week. I definitely had some times throughout these last couple of years where, you know, I'll be down and just wondering, like, dang, why like, why this happened to me or why something. But, like, I, I try to think in a mode where, like, there's always something you your situation could always be worse there's always somebody in a worse situation so like yeah i battle some it's people at other schools who who've had more injuries than me you know and they battle back so i just look at it like that somebody's situation is always worse than mine here's what i'm going to tell you a player who is willing to be that honest is in a pretty good spot a player who's willing to say hey this is what i've been through this is how it felt to go through this uh, i doubted myself i wondered some things a player who's willing to be that honest is in a relaxed, comfortable place. And a guy like Davis, who clearly has the talent that he obviously has had and who seems to be healthy enough now that he was able to contribute the way that he was, to also be that comfortable in his own skin that he can talk that openly and that freely, that could be a dangerous thing for future Georgia opponents. His nickname has been Trouble for as long as I've known who he was. Uh, that could truly spell trouble for a lot of the teams that Georgia's going to be playing. We're all kind of wondering. Can this 2022 team find whatever it was that 2021 found to, to be special? We talk about it here, about it. go for two in 22. The go for two aspect of that means replicating some emotional qualities that team a year ago seemed to possess. It remains to be seen if that's going to come true. But a guy like Ryan Davis talking as openly and honestly as he is right there, I'd say it's kind of a step in that direction. So this is kind of a cool team made up of a lot of really fun players right now. Their story far from done in terms of being told, how they'll play in the biggest games, how they'll come together, what the ultimate playing personality of this team is going to be. A lot of this stuff is uncertain here right now, but I'd say about halfway through the regular season, about a third of the way through the entire campaign, 
I'd say this Georgia team is probably in a pretty good spot right now, exactly where they need to be to get to where they want to go. That is Around the Doghouse, and it's presented today by our friends at ServePro. And speaking of getting you to where you want to go, that's what our friends at ServePro can do for you. I'm talking about in some of the most difficult circumstances you might face, fire damage. I uh, hear sad stories about this all the time where fire breaks out and damage gets done, and you look around at the, uh, the house that you love, the home that you've lived in, and you're like, can this ever be made right again? Well, our friends at ServPro can certainly point you a path towards that. Well, water damage the same way. A lot of you know we've had some water damage here at our studio that's been fixed and corrected. And ServPro was responsible for doing that. They kept their promise to us, the same promise I give to you each and every week here, that ServPro can take care of the cleanup, their restoration specialist can fix it all back up for you and leave it like it never even happened. That's what ServPro is all about, and they want to do the same thing for you. Another cool thing about ServPro is all of the franchises are independently owned and operated. What that means is is that when you reach out, let's face it, you're only reaching out to a company like this in what is kind of a crisis situation for you. When you reach out, when you've had damage to your business, your commercial property, your, your, your home, when you have something like that, you're reaching out to someone who also has a stake in the outcome, much the same way you do there as well. They got skin in the game because it's their business. It's their livelihood. They want you to be satisfied because you being satisfied is what enables them to satisfy even more people in the future. And that's what ServPro is all about. So you can reach out to them online at ServPro.com. That's S-E-R-V, ServPro.com. Let their restoration specialists do great work for you. And uh, they can do that for you here today. So check them out online, ServPro.com. Fire damage, water damage, the things that you may be going through. ServPro can put it all back together like it never even happened. That's what their restoration specialists are known for, and they're ready to do that for you. So check them out online at ServPro.com today. All right, good to have you with us here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. We've got more from Georgia coach Kirby Smart before we're done on today's show, including his assessment of what some are calling slow starts for Georgia, including offensively this past Saturday against Auburn. So we'll hear that before we're done on the program. But before that, on everything else happening with UGA, game on Saturday, even bigger games coming up after that. Let's talk about all that right now with Terrence Edwards here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Thought. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We will say hello to Terrence Edwards, and before our broadcast is done with Terrence, we're going to make a fun announcement about this upcoming weekend, which I'm really excited about. We'll tell you more about that here coming up in just a minute. Before that, though, Terrence, let me bring you into a conversation I was having uh, kind of off the, the top of the program here today. Georgia has not fared particularly well, at least in terms of expectations, in its games right before a bye week. You've had some ugly games, a couple of games against Kentucky, I think would be in that category. You've had some losses. Georgia lost to Vanderbilt in 2016. Georgia got beat by three touchdowns by LSU in 2018. All of these games kind of coming the week before being off. Is there something to this in your mind, whether it be, hey, you're going to hold out a player because you want to give them that extra week of rest, or maybe you're sort of thinking about from a player standpoint what you might be doing when you don't have to worry about playing a football game next saturday mentally is there a challenge knowing that on the other side of that off on the other side of that game day kind of gives you some time off is there a different level of focus you need when you know the bye week looms uh not necessarily i think uh i've never in my career uh going into a game the week before a bye week thinking about the bye week uh so I, I can't pinpoint why we have probably played not our best before a bye week, but just from my playing experience, I never really thought about the bye week, uh, the prior week. So 
Um, for whatever reasons, we haven't played well uh, prior to the bye weeks. I can't contest or give you an exact reason why that is. Uh, I think this team knows that you know this is another opponent uh, that's that's in front of them that's that can stop them from their ultimate goal. So hopefully the leadership, along with Curtis Mark and the coaching staff, can have them just ultra focused. Uh, I know it's a lot going on with homecoming. Um, but uh, the players have a game to play, and we'll worry about the bye week next week. A guy that I know you know well is A.J. Swan, the quarterback for Vanderbilt, and that's been a subject here this week, uh, whether it be Georgia players, Kirby Smart himself, even kind of talked about this too. Um, I thought Georgia did a great job last week of getting after Robbie Ashford, a quarterback who I think is a great athlete. I don't know that Ashford's a great quarterback right now, but I think he's clearly the best on the Auburn roster. And you know he has the ability to kind of elude pass rush, and yet Georgia still got after him pretty good. Uh, how much more is that going to be important to see from Georgia this week, both in terms of kind of you know keeping it going two weeks in a row, but also from the standpoint of, hey, if you let A.J. Swan sit back there and make a play, he has the propensity to be able to do just that. Two totally different quarterbacks that the Georgia Bulldogs will have to face. Last week, uh, Robbie Asher is a tremendous athlete with a strong arm, just need now game experience to just learn how to play quarterback. I think he's always been the best athlete on the field uh, and from middle school to high school. And now that the athleticism for us, the defense players, is kind of catching up with him right now. Uh, but AJ is a totally different. I've known and I've been around A.J. for many years, know him very well. and uh, A.J. Uh, is not the runner that we have to face, but A.J. is a polished passer. Um, he's been one of the best throwers of the football that I've been around in my academy, having him been the quarterbacks there uh, for several years. He he throws the ball uh, with the best of them. Uh, I mean, I if you could take any quarterback right now and just put them in T-shirts and shorts, A.J. Swan will hold his own just being able to throw the football to our receivers in T-shirts and, and shorts. Uh, we don't play in T-shirts and shorts, so there is a pass for us. Uh, A.J. is a is a true freshman uh, playing in a hostile environment back in his home state, so there's going to be a lot of emotions there. But A.J. is going to be a heck of a quarterback in the next two or three years. To me, it's a little bit of an example. This is kind of off the subject here for a minute, but – you know, when I was growing up, Terrence, you know, the state of Georgia, you got your defensive linemen in Georgia, you got your running backs in Georgia, you got your overall athletes in Georgia. But there was this narrative out there that you had to go somewhere else to get your quarterbacks. And I know this is a topic that matters to you because you were a quarterback in high school. You had to go to Texas if you want a quarterback. You had to go to California if you want a quarterback. You had to go to the state of Florida if you want a quarterback. Those were the states that were sort of thought to have more of the quarterbacks. And frankly, a lot of that's just related to population. Big states from a population standpoint produce more quarterbacks because good quarterbacks are kind of rare. Um, isn't it amazing how much the state of Georgia, who's kind of always been at the forefront of talent at most positions, is also now just sort of a big-time hotbed for quarterbacks, too, on a week-to-week basis? You see this as a coach there at Milton, and I see this kind of broadcasting these games. The state of Georgia has just gotten so much deeper in recent years when it comes to the quarterback position, and a guy like Swan starting in the SEC here so quick into his college career is kind of another example of that. Almost definitely, and I can attribute that to – um, a lot of great quarterback coaches here uh, in Georgia. And, you know, one of my close friends, Tony Ballard, um, who A.J. Uh, trained with throughout his time. Uh, Ron Veal is another guy. And Draco Hines is another guy. Uh, and several more that you have really, really good quarterback trainers. And these kids are starting to train from Pee Wee football all the way up. 
The spread offense and the throwing the football has really boomed. The 707 uh, has really boomed. So these guys are throwing the football and understanding uh, concepts at a very early age. And when I was coming up, you know, we just wasn't doing that. I was a run-based offense and threw it maybe five to eight times a game. Well, these kids now are throwing the football 25 to 30 times a game now. And, you know, that's the way football has exploded. And we have talent. I mean, you look at Vanderbilt, two quarterbacks, they're from the state of Georgia with Mike Wright and A.J. Swan. Both of those are from the state. So the state has exploded, man. We have a lot, a lot of good quarterbacks. And I think the best one that's going to come up in the near future now is someone who I've seen since he was maybe six years old is, is Juju. I've yeah. been around him, and look what he's doing as a true freshman at Carrollton. So uh, the state of Georgia now, I really would put us on the state uh, with California, with Texas, yeah. um, with Pennsylvania, Ohio. Like We have that type of quarterbacks right now. No, I think that's exactly right. One more thing on this game Saturday. Then I want to kind of look at some other stuff here for a moment. We're going to talk more on the show today, and it has been talked about, oh, you know, slow starts offensively. You know, the Auburn game, which I thought overall was a pretty good game for Georgia last Saturday, more good than not. It did feature, you know, kind of a slow start offensively. Georgia only had 14 points at the half, as of, for instance. There were a lot of, I think, 25 passing yards for Stetson Bennett. You know, I think you and I both would say that you got to be better than that, and being better early in the game just makes everything else easy that comes after that. How much are you hoping to see more, I guess, improved play from Georgia offensively early? How much are you hoping to see that from Georgia on Saturday? I'm, I'm hoping that uh, we're able to, uh, and, and slow starts, and I listened to uh, Coach Mark's uh, press conference, and I, I agree with him when he, it's, the slow starts is a relative term. You know what slow start means? To us as fans and media, maybe a little different than him. But I would like to uh, be able to move the football uh, for the first few drives. You know, that's where you t- now you, you're trying to figure out what the defense is doing and vice versa. Uh, I just don't like to go three and out. That first drive, you can go three and out. But the consecutive drives after that, you've you got to see a, a proponent of moving the football and hopefully scoring some points. I would love for Georgia to be able to do what we did against Oregon and go score on every possession, but that's just unrealistic. But slow starts doesn't mean you have to score points. Slow starts means that you are going three and out and not getting first down, and now you're keeping your defense on the field. So I would love for us not to be able to go three and out. I would love to score points, but I also love to get first downs and move the football. And now Coach Monk and that staff can figure out what works and what doesn't. So let me talk about some of the rest of Georgia's schedule here for a moment. It's kind of a setup for that. i got to admit something. Terrence, I'm really into this Alabama-Tennessee game on Saturday. You know, same time as Georgia-Vanderbilt. And obviously, you know, the dog's my sort of first love. It's my job to watch that game, and I will be. But I'm really into this this Van, this Tennessee-Alabama game on Saturday. I'm fascinated by that. I'm fascinated by the Tennessee team that's going to come in here in a couple of weeks and kind of you know, sort of how big, you know, that game has the potential to be. I don't think they'll win against Alabama. I don't. But how interested are you in what you kind of see from the Vols trying to do something on Saturday they had not done in a long time, which is beat Alabama? So I saw a stat that Tennessee is 0-15 in the last 15 games against Alabama. And, uh, I have a best friend that I grew up with uh, in Washington County, have known each other since I can't remember when we met. And he – graduated with me as well and he went to Alabama I went to Georgia so our rivalry goes back and forth of trash talk each each weekend I told him if Bryce Young doesn't play I I picked Tennessee to win this football game just the way uh Hooker's been able to throw the football downfield I think 
the way Texas M they played last week, I think if they had a, a viable quarterback, uh, a passing game that is very unique with the wide splits that Tennessee brings from their receivers, that opens up the middle of the field more. So I think Tennessee is going to bring unique uh, perspective offensively. And, and if uh, Bryce Young is not playing, I, I got Tennessee to win this game. Oh, wow. How about that? Uh, so looking to Tennessee to go out there and get that win, uh, that would certainly set up this game in a couple of weeks. I mean, that's about as big a game at, at, at home as Georgia's had. If you're talking about an undefeated Tennessee team that would be ranked the top three against a Georgia team that presumably would still be ranked number one, Terrence, that's as big as probably has ever happened at Sanford Stadium. Now, obviously, there's a big mountain to climb for the Vols here this week, a huge if about beating Alabama. But if you do, I mean, you're setting up for a, just a massive game here in a couple of weeks. Oh, most definitely. I've circled this on the on my calendar uh, since the, the release of the schedule. I think this game here uh, sets up, for me, whoever wins this game wins the East. I think Tennessee and Georgia are the best two teams in the, in the East. Um, defensively, they 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 are not as great as their offense in my opinion. I think offensively they are better than defense, so you can move the points. So I, I wouldn't worry about Georgia not being able to score points against them. And I think uh, what we have defensively, like we did last year, we'll be at that some point to slow that offense down. Uh, but I'm loving that. Just honestly, I'm loving what Josh Heupel is doing with Tennessee. And, and, and as for a football head, someone who's played in the SEC, I love for Tennessee and Florida to get back to being Tennessee and Florida. I, I just like the rivalries. I like the competition. I just like what sets up. So if, even if Tennessee does not beat uh, Alabama, it's still going to be a big game for the Georgia Bulldogs in a few weeks playing against Tennessee. No, I think you're right about that. Let me finish with this. There's been some chatter. There was video that was kind of shown the other day uh, during one of the Georgia games of like Jamon Dumas Johnson really kind of getting intense, talking to Kamari Laster, and they're you know kind of discussing a, a moment there on the field. Laster kind of talked about it this week and kind of explained to him it's sort of no big deal. And you know this is something I feel really passionate about. You know, Terrence, you are a former player. I'm not. That's one of the reasons why I like talking to you. I, of course, I've played other sports and been around football, but just not a football player. But when it comes to stuff like this, I have a very high tolerance for like the emotion the passion the intensity that sometimes leads to loud conversations and you know you saw some of this with like nicobe dean and channing tindall the national championship game then lo and behold you know big plays kind of came on the other side of that that if you feel really passionately about something sometimes you're going to yell about it and sometimes you're going to get in somebody else's face about it because that person feels really passionately about something else too that that I don't think stuff like this is a big deal. In fact, stuff like this may even be important. You may even need it from time to time, you know, a player doing the job of a coach and helping train up another player to kind of be there for his brothers. As a coach and player yourself, I think you have a pretty interesting perspective on this. Uh, you know, what do you think when you see, you know, these intense conversations that sometimes go on between Georgia players on the sidelines, sometimes on the field, you know, oftentimes it's private, but sometimes it's public. What do you think about those kinds of moments? I have no no problem with it. As long as the leader who's displaying the emotion to another player, he holds himself accountable as yeah. well. When he is not perfect, He's able to say, my bad, in front of I messed up. He's able to take that same type of criticism from another player because that's what leaders do. We're never going to be perfect. Uh, but if you look at the encounter, Kwame Lasso was looking at uh, Jameis in the face. Yeah. He was not fighting back. He was sitting there listening intensely. That lets me know the respect that they have for each other, that Dumas 
is one of the leaders on the team, right? It wasn't a back and forth. It wasn't a a conversation where I thought that they was got about to square off on the sideline. I think Kwame on that play, it, it was a scrammer drill. And Kwame, when you have a scrammer drill, every DB has to lock to a receiver that's closest to them and allow the front seven to chase the quarterback. And he came off a receiver, and that was a big play in that game. And he know he messed up, so just take it, hold yourself accountable, uh, and, and get ready to play the next play. So those type plays, they are normal. As long as the pe- person who's doing the screaming and the yelling holds himself accountable as well when he makes a mistake. So let's make a big announcement here for a moment. It's really fun. On Saturday, it is homecoming for Georgia and Vanderbilt. It means a lot of uh, all-time Georgia greats going to be back on campus, including our very own Terrence Edwards. And Terrence, what this means is, you know, I've talked about this, is for our Dog Nation postgame show on Saturday from the UJ Bookstore, Terrence Edwards is going to join us live. And a lot of times on Saturdays, Terrence got kids, they're playing sports, everybody's doing all kinds of stuff. And so Terrence is not always able to be with us live. He's always good enough to join us via the technology hookup there. But on Saturday, in person at the UGA bookstore. So when a lot of folks come by to see us on Saturday, not only can they see me, they're going to get a chance to see Terrence Edwards as well. And Terrence, let me be just the first to say how excited I am to have you there in person on Saturday. We will do the uh, Dog Nation postgame show uh, together live. I hope it's a great conversation. It'll be fun, important conversation no matter what. But I hope it's fun after a really, really big Georgia win. But either way, I am so happy to have you in person live to do this with us on Saturday. I'm really excited about that. Yes, I am too. I knew that uh, well, Damian Gary texted me this week and asked me whether I was going to come to the game. When Damian calls, I come running. That's, everyone there knows that's probably my best friend on, that I, on the team. and uh, So I'm going to come to home, come participate with a lot of my former teammates. I just told you, like, I, I'm going to be at the game. And when you ask me, do I want to do it live? Heck yeah, I want to do there it live. Go. So I, I, I love the uh, opportunity that you and I will be the first time that we do it live. And uh, I can't wait to uh, watch the game first, see a lot of my old teammates and a lot of people I went to school with, and then do the post-game show live with you. Terrence, Terrence, can't wait for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. We appreciate that. Looking forward to that. Hope you have a good time with Damian. All the uh, great former dogs going to be there on Saturday. Y'all enjoy yourself and take advantage of that chance to be back on campus again. And then we'll see you for a little bit of business after that on the Dog Nation postgame show. We'll look forward to talking to you then. See you Saturday. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, so uh, uh, really fun stuff. And by the way, you know, Great collection of autographs going to be on hand there as well. How about uh, Coach Dooley back in the uh, saddle again to uh, be there uh, after uh, some good health report on him. He was in the hospital last week, not able to be there, but uh, he is uh, there uh, this upcoming Saturday. Malcolm Mitchell going to be on hand. Buck Ballou, they've been signing copies of their books all year long. And, of course, Hot Rod, Rodrigo Blankenship, Monty Rice, Jason Stanley, uh, all there too. And you can add Terrence Edwards to that list there after the game as well. So uh, that is incredible so much fun and can't wait to do that with you there on saturday and by the way one more thing here real quick and it kind of ties into something that terrence and i were talking about so um i reached out to our buddy tony barnhart yesterday y'all know tony barnhart mr college football and this is just kind of a casual conversation but what i wanted to know is let's say that tennessee did beat alabama on saturday now i don't think they're going to but let's just say they did and obviously georgia you know wins its next two games you know prior to that has there been a bigger game? How many games in Sanford Stadium history from a ranked versus ranked standpoint, how many games would have been bigger than that? Because Tennessee would definitely be top three, if not maybe even number two, but definitely top three. 
Georgia, you would assume, sort of holds on to number one. So if it's like number one Georgia versus number three Tennessee, I asked Tony, I said, how many games have been bigger than that? What Tony said is, this is just kind of a casual conversation. Nobody's like fact-checking themselves here. But he said um, that he couldn't really think of that many other sort of top five matchups in Sanford Stadium history. One of the games that he'd mentioned to me, and I don't have any, I wasn't alive for this, but it's, I actually went back and read some of this yesterday. The Georgia-Auburn game in 1971, about how big of a game that was. Auburn did win the game. Pat Sullivan won the Heisman Trophy in part because of how he played there uh, that year against Georgia. But that was an example of very big game, very hyped, uh, you know, early 70s game for for Georgia there in that spot. And so other than that, you're talking about, you know, not that many examples of like top five type matchups. So keep that in mind. If Tennessee were to win, you're potentially talking about, and as I'm going to be hesitant to say this because it sort of comes across as you know super hyperbolic, but you're potentially talking about, um, you know, one of the biggest games, if not the biggest game from a rank versus rank standpoint in Sanford Stadium history. So that's what's potentially at stake here if the Vols do win this game on Saturday. More on that, by the way, coming up in a moment. Before that, though, let's go cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean and something I'm not afraid to hype up too much because I know how much fun it's going to be. That is our Royal Caribbean cruise coming up. Dog Nation going to be setting sail on Independence of the Seas in April. Can't wait to be a part of that. I continue to hear from so many of you who plan on being a part of it with us, which I am really, really excited about and in addition to that, I'm also excited about a couple of other Royal Caribbean cruises I have coming up there as well. When I have some time off, when I'm getting away with my family, when I'm getting away with my wife, you know, I think the best getaway for us is a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation because it's kind of a one-stop shop for everything we need. Great food, great entertainment, beautiful locations. You kind of get all of that on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. That's why I go on so many, including one coming up in December. I've got one coming up in February. Obviously, we're going to be all together on the Dog Nation cruise coming up in April. When I get a little time to get away, it's a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation that I want to be on. And my invitation for you is... If you've never experienced one, experience one today to find out why I feel that way. Or experience one with me this upcoming April. Our good friend Jessica Slater is going to help you do that. You can give her a call 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. You can also check out the website that she has made, royaldogs.com. That's royaldogs.com. And you can uh, find out why we're going to have so much fun in April. And you can make your decision to be a part of it. Independence of the Seas, going to Nassau in the Bahamas, going to Perfect Day, Coco Cay, that private island right there in the Bahamas, having a great time doing it. So let's talk about a couple of angles on Alabama, Tennessee here for a moment. Here is the one thing I think I feel comfortable in saying. I don't believe the Heisman race this season has sort of officially begun yet. Um, You know, you have odds kind of changing week to week and things like that. But in terms of like the real chatter for the award, I don't know that you've seen a, a ton of that yet. I would say that I'm not sure who the actual betting favorite is right now, but I'd say that C.J. Stroud, the Ohio State quarterback, is probably the closest I think of to a, to a Heisman favorite here at the moment. But the truth is, Ohio State hasn't played its biggest games yet. And so the real chatter around uh, C.J. for the good or for the bad is going to happen much later on this year. But I do think the Bama-Tennessee game, which I think, just objectively speaking, is probably the biggest game of the season here thus far, I do think this game could be a really interesting springboard for someone's Heisman candidacy. And I'm going to start with Bryce Young here for a moment. I've told you before, and I actually think that Bryce Young's a good quarterback. This is not me disrespecting him as a sort of Georgia guy against Alabama. I'm trying to be as honest as I can right here. I think there's a real distaste on the part of most Heisman voters for voting for 
a guy two years in a row to win the award. We've only seen one back-to-back Heisman winner. That's way back before I was born uh, with Archie Griffith at Ohio State. Heisman voters just don't like to give the award to two to the same guy two years in a row. They want to look for something different. We just have a lot of examples of that. And so I've kind of always felt that there was – you know, the Heisman conversation this year probably started with somebody else other than Bryce Young. He was just going to have to have some sort of Superman type season to be in kind of the back to back Heisman race. But let's at least consider this for a moment. He is, if he does play on Saturday, kind of coming off of injury, there is a chance in which this kind of becomes sort of his version of the, the Jordan flu game or something like that. Michael Jordan back in the NBA finals in the 90s against the uh, Utah Jazz where he sort of thought to overcome all odds to give Alabama a big performance. And so if you want the kind of special set of circumstances that could set up for a guy like Young to be back in the Heisman conversation again, playing in a big game off of injury might be one of the things that would start that conversation. Or other than that on the Alabama side, you know, think about a guy like Jameer Gibbs here for a moment, who pretty clearly is Alabama's best non-quarterback offensive player. They you know, experiment with the transfer portal. They thought they could go out and pull whatever transfer wide receivers they wanted to and turn all those guys in Jamison Williams. That was clearly hubris. That was clearly um, a misread of the situation by Alabama. And Alabama right now doesn't have anywhere near the same wide receiver situation that it's had in the past. Gibbs is going to be their most important offensive weapon down the stretch. If Young plays and he's not healthy or if Young isn't able to play at all, don't you have to lean on Gibbs even more for the Crimson Tide and if it's him that has the big game there on Saturday could be that the, could that be the kind of thing that sort of starts a Heisman conversation for Gibbs whether it should or it shouldn't you know being kind of the sort of face of the Alabama program offensively that's been good for Devontae Smith that's been good for Mark Ingram that's been good for a lot of guys in recent years could that also be good for Jameer Gibbs at least worth considering now on the flip side of that uh, Hendon Hooker obviously I think Hooker's a good quarterback once again I'm not going to sort of trash him i don't believe in tennessee in this spot but it's not necessarily because of uh of a hendon hooker situation i think the hooker is a uh, good player and if he were to win this game on saturday then he's pretty clearly in the heisman conversation on the other side of that let me also just kind of give you this and this is not this is not a report there's a little bit of internet chatter about how healthy hooker might be right now too so obviously we know that young is injured um, but at least a little banged up, at least a little hurt. There's a little bit of injury chatter around uh, the hooker thing on this here too. So just kind of keep your eye on that on uh, Saturday um, as, as it relates to hooker in this game for Tennessee there too. One more thing on Tennessee here for a moment. Uh, it has been reported local outlets in Knoxville that Jalen McCullough, the safety who was facing the felony charge, he was arrested on uh, I guess a sort of a battery type thing going back to something that happened in an apartment complex he is still practicing here right now. So his status for Saturday is uncertain. Now, listen, a safety doesn't move this point spread at all. He plays, he doesn't play. That does not impact the point spread, not even one single point. Tennessee's pass defense is terrible with him. You know, much worse is going to be without him. So the McCullough thing is, is not necessarily a big factor in who wins and loses this game on Saturday, but it is a potential distraction for a Tennessee team that obviously is kind of riding an undefeated streak right now and obviously looking ahead to this third Saturday in October this weekend as one of the big games they're going to play. I also have been kind of reading a little bit about the circumstances of his deal there. Apparently somebody entered the apartment that he lives in, and that's what kind of started the altercation. So on the one hand, it sort of feels like self-defense, but on the other hand, I guess the battle sort of spilled, allegedly spilled out of the apartment, kind of into the sort of a common area there and i'm no lawyer but it seems like this situation is maybe a little bit complicated there for mccullough so maybe worth uh considering there on that 
And then a couple other things here just for a moment. Keep your eye on some of the games for teams outside the SEC here this weekend. If you care about point spreads, a couple of point spreads may catch your eyes, being a little different than you might expect them to be. Clemson, a very small favorite right now, about three and a half points or so uh, against Florida State there on Saturday. This is a Florida State team we've seen lose a couple of times. This is a Clemson team that seems to be kind of rounding into its form here a bit. But as it stands right now, Clemson's not a very big favorite against Florida State on Saturday. Is that an indication from gambling experts that the uh, Tigers could be in for a little bit of a struggle against an Atlantic Division foe in Florida State? And the point spreads may be different than you might expect. Also for a USC team, it's kind of gotten some hype, and everybody seems to think, oh, Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma at the right time. They've lost three straight in conference, have the Sooners. Oklahoma, I should say USC, point spread underdog at Utah this week. Some of that's just related to the home field advantage, Rice-Eccles Stadium there in Salt Lake, probably with due respect to Eugene, Oregon, probably the toughest home field advantage maybe in the Pac-12. I'd put Oregon on that list too. There aren't a lot of tough home field advantages. Utah is one of those. Utah is also, despite the fact they lost last Saturday at uh, UCLA, still a pretty good team. But USC is a team that's had some hype, a team that's had some chatter. Um, and on Saturday, they are expected to lose. So keep your eye on USC. Keep your eye on Clemson. There's a couple of those kind of playoff contender types who are expected to be challenged in conference on Saturday. And then finally, there's this. I saw where Stephen A. Smith, the uh, you know ESPN media gadfly that's about on every TV show that you can find, I saw where uh, – he was saying some less than kind things about Brian Kelly, hearing some bad things about what's going on down there in Baton Rouge or whatever it was that Stephen A. Smith was saying about all of that. And I think it just sort of speaks to what we've talked about before, that Saturday's game between Florida and LSU is huge, gigantic, because hard to imagine the loser of this game heading for anything other than what is a massively disappointing season. In the case of LSU, I think they're kind of already setting up for that right now. I think Florida could salvage something by getting this home win. I think the Gators have more losses coming, obviously, to Georgia. I think they're going to lose at Texas A&M. So they desperately need this LSU game here at home. LSU sort of desperately needs it too. Brian Kelly was the kind of team, kind of kind of coach that always seemed to have good teams at LSU, never great, but kind of always at least good. They beat up on bad teams. They're having a hard time doing that at LSU right now, and LSU is clearly a far cry from what it was the very best of the Ed Orgeron or Les Miles or Nick Saban era there. So there's a lot of desperation in place this game between LSU and Florida that typically makes for a pretty fun game and crazy things have happened between Florida and LSU before so you've got critics coming out of the woodworks for Brian Kelly right now if Florida loses they could be coming for Billy Napier too this is a very interesting game on Saturday it will make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean we're gonna get back to Kirby Smart here in just a moment before that though you know, with Terrence Edwards a little earlier, we talked about it being homecoming on Saturday. And obviously, former players, you know, uh, alumni from all across, everybody looking forward to that chance to be back in Athens there on Saturday. And whether you're in Seattle, Savannah, wherever you might be, you get a chance to come back home and be a part of the great homecoming festivities here this week in Athens. And as you do all of that, I want you to think about our friends at the UGA Alumni Association because they got some great celebrations taking place all week long for those that are coming to Athens. You get the uh, Paul Prowl. That's going to be uh, an opportunity. You can win prizes by exploring, uh, exploring the campus. You get the homecoming parade coming up on Friday night. And then all kinds of great tailgates on game day from different campus organizations, the alumni groups, uh, the various colleges have their own kind of events going on there too. And of course, a great collection of autograph signings at the UGA bookstore there as well. I told you before, 
four. Hot Rod, Rodrigo Blankenship going to be on hand. Monty Rice going to be on hand. Jason Stanley going to be on hand. Happy to have uh, Vince Dooley back after his hiatus last week. He's feeling good. He's going to be there. That's awesome to see. Malcolm Mitchell's going to be there. Buck Ballou going to be there. They're going to be signing their books. And then if you can't be there in Athens uh, for the great events with the Alumni Association, all about homecoming, also know there's some great game watching parties no matter where you are across the country across the world it's amazing for how many folks we hear internationally that are uga grads and kind of somewhere else doing something different with their life right now but still thinking about their home state and their home university and of course the uga alumni association is there for them too helping dog fans stay connected because with the uga alumni association you never have to bark alone you can find out more about the big homecoming week festivities by going to alumni.uga.edu slash football that's alumni.uga.edu slash football and you can find out more about that today I was getting ready to wrap up the show. We got more content to deliver here for a moment. So let me set this up. Let me set this up. So uh, Kirby Smart was asked a pointed question here earlier this week about, hey, you know, kind of gotten off to a slow start against Auburn and, you know, had what, 14 points in the half. Stetson Bennett only had 25 yards passing. Is this kind of in keeping with the other things that have gone on for UGA in recent weeks? And let me be very clear about one thing here. I do not think that the Auburn game on Saturday was like Missouri or like Kent State or any of the other sort of play down to the level of competition type games. Georgia, I thought, made a relatively decent statement against Auburn. They covered the spread, you know, for lack of a better way of describing it. They pulled away late, uh, but they also dominated defensively for almost the entirety of the game. The rushing attack was a big factor almost the entirety of the game. There was a lot more good than not for Georgia on Saturday against Auburn, but was not a great day, at least for certain aspects of the offense early on in the game. And from that standpoint, seems fair to say a little bit of a slow start for UGA. But that particular phrase is not necessarily something that Kirby Smart says he agrees with. This is what Smart said about that going back to Monday. Now let's hear the Kirby Smart clip. Not that I can speak of. I mean, some missed opportunities, but um, it's an opportunity to grow and get better each day at practice. And uh, our guys have kind of... uh, adopted the mentality that they're going to do that each and every day. They get to go against a really good defense in practice. And, um, you know, I think everybody defines slow differently. So uh, I, I don't let our guys fall vulnerable to maybe what you think slow and what we think slow. I, I think that's a definition for each party. I think uh, when you play in the SEC, you play against really good quality defenses, and usually at the start of the game they're at their best. So I think there's an element on that from Kirby Smart, which is simply not wanting to participate in what he thinks might be an emerging narrative. Sometimes he does that. I also think he's right when he says, hey, sometimes it takes 60 full minutes for the better team to truly emerge. And I think that's been kind of true for George over the course of time that you don't stop the game early and say, "Okay, what's happening now? you do let the game play out. And typically speaking, because of its conditioning level, because of its talent level, because of the overall strength of the program, Georgia does seem to get better as games go along. Better team emerges the more you play. And I would say that Georgia has benefited from that. Smart's probably right to point that out. But I also think that for Georgia to make easy wins look as easy as they're supposed to, to be as dominant as a dominant team is supposed to be, the word early does matter. I say it often as, early downs early in the game you throw your haymakers on early downs 
the best way to be good on third down is to avoid third down. Be really, really good on first and second down. You don't even have to worry about any kind of third down conversion because you're moving the chains on those early downs at a time which the defense is kind of on its heels for anything. Be really good on early downs. Do so early in games, and then you can make the rest of the game a lot easier for you there too. So as you're kind of trying to measure the overall dominance of Georgia, a dominant team against bad teams has a better chance of winning against good teams, just the overall reasoning would, would suggest – Look for that word early. Can Georgia get off to an early start on early downs against Vanderbilt? If so, maybe that is an example that Georgia is kind of getting to be where it needs to be in all phases as you head towards the games that matter most. Florida after the off week, a big stretch in November. You know, being good early is going to probably matter in games like that. And we'll see on Saturday if Georgia can find some of that against these Commodores. Now we'll wrap up the show. Uh, After... uh, the uh, Kirby Smart clip there a moment ago. And as we wrap up, I do want to say this. Now, Georgia coaches and players, they can't look ahead to what's going to happen uh, past Saturday against Vanderbilt. You heard Kirby Smart say that on today's show. But we do know that on the other side of Saturday, it is great to be a Gator hater once again. And if you go to our Dog Nation store, that's dognation.store, or if you click the link, top of the page at Dog Nation, or we even have this QR code thing that we're using from time to time, you could even click that QR code you can get into the dog. Yeah, there's the QR code right there. If you're watching on video, you can see that. You can get in there and you can get one of these shirts. Now, what you don't see on the video that's in front of you right now is, is we've actually also added the traditional Gator Hater shirt. It's actually back in the Dog Nation store right now. So get ready for Gator Hater uh, time, which comes up after Saturday with one of those great Eddie the Blind Squirrel t-shirts, obviously the official mascot of Dog Nation Daily, uh, Lousy Stinking Gators t-shirt, which is uh, really fun, and uh, the uh, original Gator Hater shirt. I love you, said, B.A., when are you ever going to sell those Gator Hater shirts again? And the answer is we are selling it now. If you go to the Dog Nation store, which is dognation.store, or the top of the page of dognation.com, or just use that QR code that's right there on your screen, you can be ready to go to get ready for the next couple of weeks in the rivalry we think that matters more than any other the one with those lousy, stinking Gators. Speaking of them, long time they've won a national championship. About 5,026 days. And in Jacksonville, 16 days from right now. A lot of Gator haters have that date circled. We have it circled, as you know, and we will see you tomorrow on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Merriweather and Tharp. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown. We take your comments here each and every day, uh, whether it be online at dognation.com in the comment section when we post the podcast each day or on twitter at dognation daily ed og writes in interesting question from ed he says what more should uga fans want from this offense it's remarkably adaptable against oregon with all of its weapons in tow it's able to pass and score over 40 plus points in that a game like that and then he says after working out some kinks over the couple games able to rush for six touchdowns versus auburn which I, th- I think is interesting. He goes on to say this is true of this offense going back to last season as well. I know we want to put it all together in one performance. Perhaps that will come. It would be great if this team uh, is growing over the course of the season and by the end is able to dominate in both factors on offense. So I, th- I think that's an interesting question, and I, I think I agree with some of the premise of that, maybe slightly disagree in other, other aspects. On the one hand, the Georgia offense, as he said, dating back to 2021, has proven capable of getting the job done, would not have won the national championship without some of those offensive performances. Late against Alabama, uh, throughout the entirety of the game against Michigan, there was really a lot established about what Georgia could do on that side of the ball in games like that. I think this year, 
I think I'm left to conclude, okay, what happened against Oregon? Was that real? I mean, it clearly really happened. But is it the kind of thing that Georgia could call upon again when it really needed to? Or was some of that, as I've mentioned before, somewhat opponent dependent? Rookie coach in his first game, long way from home against the defending national champions. Oregon team that just kind of wasn't ready for that moment. Now, the overarching point that Ed makes with his comment, I do agree with is that Georgia has given you far more to be happy with than not. And I say that knowing full well that the passing game on Saturday wasn't what it needed to be, and it comes on the heels of a game against Missouri where Georgia made it closer than it should have been, and part of that was also due to the offense too. So even knowing that in the last couple of games we've seen some blemishes in need of correction, still overall Georgia fans – I think have far more to be happy about than not. And I think your overall appraisal of the team, even keeping in mind some of its imperfections, your overall appraisal of the team, I do think should be remarkably positive. I think there's overwhelmingly more good things happening for Georgia than not. And there are areas in which Georgia doesn't play at the elite great level, but in those areas, including the passing attack, I think they at least more often than not are going to be good. And good can be good enough if you're great in other areas. That Georgia last year was the most balanced team in the country. They were the best example of being stellar on defense and on offense. Teams that were better on offense last season were far worse defensively. Any team that rivaled Georgia defensively last season was nowhere near as good offensively. Georgia was the most complimentary football team in America. That's the recipe for success again and that's what Georgia's on its way to trying to achieve. And we'll see if they can take another step towards that against Vanderbilt on Saturday. Thank you for being here for our podcast, Cool Down Today. And thank you for checking out R.S. Andrews online at rsandrews.com for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. They show up on time. They do the work that's promised, the price that's promised. You can trust them on that today. If your water heater goes out, in many cases, R.S. Andrews can replace it for you the same day. So find them online, rsandrews.com, for a lot more on that. And we'll see you tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by... Merry weather and thought.